Here we go. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. That's that's good. I like that. But it's quarter past three. It's a nice, uh, nice Tuesday, hazy, wintry afternoon. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. Well, I don't know why hazy came to mind. This hazy is could not be further from the point right now. It's rather cold. I mean, it's cold <laughs> and windy. Like it's yes. mad. It's mad. But um, hey, we didn't even we didn't get cancelled. We are we're on episode two. Even though we yes, manage you... ourselves and no one else really mattered, it is like we're still here. We beat the pilot. Exactly. Yeah? We back baby. Exactly. If if you've if you've made it this far, we now consider you a fan. <laughs> we salute you after the and... after the near two hour pilot. Oh man, that was that was hectic. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it again. It's all the learning curve oh, and yeah, stuff. Definitely. But... It's nothing better than uh Sitting here, listen to you, give me facts and figures and me saying absolutely about 1,600 <laughs> times. Um, I didn't count it, but I think I think it was about 1,600 times. Uh, office quote count, it said nine, it was more like nine million. You reckon? A um, couple, couple <laughs> sneaked in. I think, I think we contained ourselves a lot there, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Not too bad. Absolutely. Yeah, episode two. I can't wait. Um, episode two. Here we are. Um, here we are. But yeah, no. would you like to segue in, Marv? I mean, I'm going to do Take a mini. I'm going to do a tangent already. But okay, um, up, I was scrolling up. through my phone notes and um, I realized that at one point you showed me the meme of Biggie on a Siggy. Oh. And I remember that I, when we were in the van, I think we were going to a gig somewhere. Um, I'd Probably. come up. I come up with loads. So I come up with like five kind of good ones i was like i want to make these into memes and they're just staying on my phone so these are the ones nice. i came up with tupac Here on a go. shoe rack yeah drake on a snake nice little uzi vert and a yurt what sorry can i just interject on what a yurt is um i think a yurt's a bit like a teepee isn't it oh i know what you yeah. mean yeah yeah there yeah, we yeah, go yeah. he's there dj khaled making sure his ticket is valid that's very, very good. <laughs> it's very it's very British as well, I think. And Incredibly. Outcast erecting a phone mast. I think that might be my favourite. Yep. Okay then. Well if, any, if anyone wants favorite. to if anyone wants to turn that into a meme, um f- please feel free. I want to see these come into creation, into light. I might have a go myself. What about you? Uh I mean tempting, tempting in my uh, in the hours I'm not spent working or sleeping or nah i don't watching, need that watching the u.s office or nah you know. nah 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 just get on these memes mate it's where the money is okay all right i'll give up every aspect of my life for memes i think yeah. that's actually quite a good game plan at it's this the, point it's the way forward mate it's the way forward anyways um that's what i think yeah you might have noticed that uh our poor boy merit his voice you know little it's, husky today it's husky it's hanging in there i bet it's i yeah. bet you can get some growls on that boy so why don't you let us know how could Let's let us know how your uh, week's been then. Well, it started off pretty well. Um, I had a COVID test, uh, came back inconclusive Ooh. Uh, because Track and Trace contacted me, um, and uh, ever since the first COVID test, my throat kind of got really sore. And uh, to cut a long story short, because we will cut that long story short. That would be very nice. Long story short, I've just said. <laughs> long story short. Long story short. And we do podcasts, and we can't even speak proper go. English. 
Yeah, so I'm not 100% full function at the moment. I had a a viral throat infection, and this is probably the best I've spoke all week. So have at it. If you enjoyed this voice, that's a real shame because I can't wait for it to be gone, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, yeah, can't sing, can't dance. There you go. You still love life. Still love life. You You can't not love life. If you don't love life, you're doing it wrong. Exactly. And you still turned up. So I commend you for that. Hey, you've got to turn up. Because if you're not turning up, what what, what are you alive for? Uh, Anyways, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, um, next. Episode two made it. And this one's going to be about debut albums. So it's kind of like debut album syndrome. Um, Yes. And we focused more on, well, I focused more on really, really great debuts that maybe were a bit more of a hindrance later on in like the band's career. Um, and I did look at some bad debuts, but the, the hardest thing was like, to me, they weren't terrible. But I think a really quick summation is, is like a lot of bands, maybe like from 90s below, yeah, he's up onwards. You could make a bad album. You could make an album which wasn't exactly great, but you built upon it because yes, you maybe toured a lot live, and then you refined your sound, and then you sculpt, 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 and then you get something good, or you just kind of go away from that style. You figure out who you want, what your musical kind of um, core is, and there you go. But <clears throat> we'll see what each other's got. But thank you for everyone commenting and. DMing us suggestions for albums to check out, and it's great. It's great, you know. We've had a good little response so far. I'm I'm pretty humble and pretty hyped about it. How about you? Yeah, it's fantastic to hear people responding. It's very nice uh, to see that people have taken the time to listen to two very good chums rattle on about organized vibrations that we know as music. <laughs> Um, it's very nice, it's very humbling, and it's very much appreciated. So to you guys listening at home, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming back. And uh, I can see the look on your face is uh, telling me you're not too hyped on that, Mark. <laughs> uh, do you not enjoy the people who listen to us? Of course I do. you trying to insinuate? No, of course I do. What I was going to do is I was going to interject and be like, and that's it, see you later, you know. Joking uh, all the time. Okay. I've got jokes uh, on the brain all the time. But yeah, but you, you can't cut old Mez off. You, so you can't, not even with that. a dodgy throat. No. But. So um, we posted up our debut albums in our collection. We thought those were the really, really good ones. Um, and here are some suggestions. So Robbie, our drummer, how's he doing? Um, yes, he might kill my soul if he plays the Chelsea Dagger. And I do apologize <laughs> that, you know, don't take it too much to heart, bud, but you, you smash everything else and I love it. Uh, Buddha, Blink-182, of course. Buddha. That's great. Buddha and Cheshire Cat, you know, two maybe weak, the weakest sounding records, but look how much they built. Um, and our little running joke is, you know, there's a good core of us that like love Blink so much. I genuinely love Blink. And we're just like, they invented music. They're that good. And it's kind of like a r- little running joke, isn't it? Not that we need to the start cr- another running joke on this podcast. No, no, it doesn't need to happen. However... I just don't think power chords would be the same without them. I don't think they'd exist. The interval would not have been discovered. That's true. Without Blink. That is true. They they erase music first, everything before it, and then start again fresh. When Travis Barker 
broke wind in the same room as Tom DeLong. They broke a fifth apart, and they loved that sound. That probably happened. So that probably happened. I, I no, no, probably about <laughs> it. I was having a pint with him the other week, and he, um, he said to me, "You know, James," and I said, "Don't call me James." He said, "You know, Mez, that's that's what happened. Go and tell Marv. I listen to the podcast every week, and I said every week, you listen to one podcast we released a week ago every week, and he said, "Yep." So. uh... <laughs> Yeah, and that's the last tangent before we get into the meat and bones <laughs> of the matter. Um, yeah, Ali, um, our good mate, great photographer. He went with uh, oh, amazing introducing DJ Shadow. Yep, amazing. Love that album. Great. And for Emma Bobonivere, which I've only listened to a couple of times years ago, like probably five, six years ago. And I did really like it. Um, I definitely get the spin. Uh, Mark... What other people say I am, that's what I'm not. I'm Arctic Monkeys. Great. Oh, but Great artist. Uh, Alex Hopkinson, another mate. Sino More, Mumford & Sons. Now, not a fan of Mumford & Sons. When it came out, I knew it was very banjo-y. That was kind of like its thing. It was that. Very banjo-y. It was the band with banjo. They were kind of like putting that that niche. But, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, it, was, it definitely was a big, big seller, wasn't it? Uh, our mate Alex Ruddle. With uh, Showbiz by Muse, again, I only know Unintended, and it's nice to hear them as like a very plain band before they kind of expanded into the Muse that we know now. Um, Rage and Definitely Maybe by Henners, I'm like Hammer as well. Rage, oh, that is that is a near-perfect debut, definitely. So good, so um, good. My mate Luke Smith with Hybrid Theory, again, near-perfect debut. Dare I, dare I say, pretty much perfect, pretty much perfect. Um, my mate Sam Walton called me up the task. He was like, if that's your collection, where's Hot Fuzz? Now, it was in there. And I don't know why I took it out. I'm more of a Samstown kind of guy. I was obsessed with that album. I don't know why I took Hot Fuzz out. I think maybe in my mind I was like, well, it kind of sags a little bit at the end. Bright Side's great. All these things I've done is great. Somebody told me great. And the more I thought about it, I was like, it should have been in there. It should have been in there. So that'd be my amendment, Hot Fuzz. And um, Sophie Griffin, um, she gave me such good information. She gave me this website with all of these weird albums. Um, so that's a really good resource. So thank you for that. that is, she said, yeah. The Shag's Philosophy of the World, which I don't know if you're aware, that's a very interesting story that we need to cover no. for another day. Um, okay. Especially on like One Album Wonders. Um, but essentially, three siblings, three sisters, their dad had a fortune teller tell them or psychic tell them three things. And one of them was your sisters are going to be sisters, family trees. Your daughters are going to be famous musicians. They had no musical skill. We just went drums, bass, guitar, sort it out. And they did an album and you just need to listen to, to it for yourself, Merritt. It's nothing. Oh, like, I think I've heard about that. Actually, It's yeah. unlike nothing you've heard before. Um, I found, find it really interesting. It's like an interesting case study in kind of humanity and, Okay. what things can do when their dad did pass away they broke up it's kind of interesting i think one of them still performs today um yeah and i got a really nice message from my friend charlie um saying he really likes our rapport likes likes the podcast it's always good eh and always good he, always good and he said you know it got him thinking about albums that he might have hated when he was younger um, why was that so he's gonna go he's going back and listening i think he's listened to a christina aguilera album and it's making him question and think you know to get a little bit serious like that's what i want 
this podcast to do kind of go back yeah. and go well yeah why do i hate that so much it's a bit kind of uh, so easy to just go i hate that just throw it out blase but like really think about it do you hate it as much as you thought you did that's the way you should look at it and um following up i had a message from an old school friend louis um he says the bristonian accent caught my heart and the guilty pleasure bit got me thinking uh and and i like that because my uh the, my whole point of reasoning for bringing that up was why should we feel guilty for consuming something that was invented for us to consume um so thanks for that louis i hope you're still with us i really still listening with us rather than <laughs> rather than <laughs> yeah good lord i'll let um, you off because you've been ill all last week yeah i've i've, I've had a rough week yeah. but um but yes so thank you for your comments really appreciate that keep them coming in um because well it gives us more to talk about makes us feel like we're not just talking to each other here and we're talking <laughs> to other people and um yeah Keep on, keep on, keeping on. Cool. I thought you'd say keep on rocking. That's like your catchphrase. Ah, oh, could have, could have, uh, but too many in jokes as it is. That is true. That is true. Um, yeah. So it's like really good. I'll just keep them coming. I really like hearing what everyone thinks. You guys think. Um, okay. So we had kind of had the task for ourselves to recap on the albums in our collection that yes. we said we didn't like and hated. So I'm going to go first because why not? Moby, everything is wrong. Oh, good lord. So. Gave it a good couple, I think about two or three full listens through. Um, I gained a liking to the song Feeling So Real, which I think is the second track. Now, it's very much um, techno inspired or dance inspired because I don't know all the, I don't know exactly what all the subgenres are. Um, I can remember the hook and the groove really got me. And the more research I did, I've definitely got a bit, way more of an appreciation for this album now. Um, he made it in his apartment for like pretty much no money um he just had a like a really really big breakup he was almost nearly going back to drinking again he was being sober for like eight years at that point so it's quite a low point in his life he considers it like a lo-fi bedroom record and he didn't really think he was like an artist or like a musician like career-wise at that point um and he says like you know everything was on crates and a lot of songs were just made on like a tuesday afternoon for like nothing um and I think there's a lot of fake instruments. I think the pianos are all MIDI and there's strings that are MIDI. So the one that I liked, God moving over the face of the waters. Yeah, I got it right. Um, yeah, <laughs> all, all MIDI. And apparently it got used in the film Heat and they re-recorded the strings with like a massive orchestra and the director went, I like the original. So he's like, for a song that I made for nothing at home, it's on like a, and then against an orchestra, they preferred that one. I found that really interesting. And it just goes to show, doesn't it? You can have yeah, all definitely. the all the money in the world, all the best players, but it doesn't produce the best content. Um, there we go. Yeah. So I was, I got a lot more of appreciation for that. And I think if I can get to maybe liking half the record, each time I listen to it, I can pick up a new song. I think I would be happy with that. But I'm not going to chuck it away anytime soon. I've got some, got some hope. Um, Mez, right. how about you? So I went back to X Factor by Iron Maiden. I gave it a go. I have to say, as our podcast, the first episode, hoped for, it wasn't as bad as I remember it. Uh, I was never that mean about it in the first place anyway. No. But it, it just, it outstays its welcome. It's just too, that's too much. And I think the point you made last time 
was um it that there's too much of repeating in the choruses it'll just hit you know blaze will sing the line like four times and then that's the end the end of that chorus into the next section and then outro double chorus that's that um which you know it is what it is Every, uh production wise again um it's just it's just not up to the standard kilter they're using a producer they're not used to they're in a studio which you know obviously i don't know maybe it you know, any I'm going to start again. <laughs> you go for it, lad. The case tends to be that if you're very good at something, you can make any piece of gear work and you can bend it to your advantage. Um, so maybe it was the producer, obviously because they weren't used to each other. Maybe you could say that the barn played a role in it, but I just, you know, it's not the worst album ever made, but I'm not going to recommend it to anyone anytime soon. Okay, so it'd be, it'd be like the last album you'd recommend to someone who's trying to get into Maiden and wants to listen to everything. You're just going to go listen to that last if you really yeah. want to be a purist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, fair enough. Um, 13 by Sabbath. Did you give that another spin or was that just for me? That was. I, I believe I agreed to listen to it. But I didn't actually get around to it due to being unwell. Fair enough. I mean, so, you probably listened to it more than me, so I, I have I have listened to it just to just to cap. So, oh my god, it was so long on the first listen. <laughs> it just felt like it went on for about an hour and a half. I don't yeah. think it's that long, but oh, it just you know, it wasn't as digestible as I thought it would be. A lot of songs are quite long on it, um, which maybe ends up being its detriment. And the problem I got with these like Ruben produced albums, especially with bands this late into their career, and I get the point of doing it, you know, is listen to your early work, center it around that, focus in, make something good, right? But it yeah. always comes off like a pastiche or a parody to me. The things I've got in mind definitely are Death Magnetic and this album for sure. Yeah. Um, for me, well, me personally, yep. Um, it just makes me want to listen to the first two records, you know, of yeah, Sabbath. Yeah. Um, every time I hear an acoustic guitar on that on thirteen, it's like it's going to be an E minor. Okay, it's going to be plat plat. Oh, Merritt, what's going on? It's, <laughs> every time I hear an acoustic guitar, it's going to be E minor. It's going to be Planet Caravan, or it's going to be Sleeping Village. You know, first couple of records. Yeah. Um, end of the beginning way too close to the black sabbath song itself where it's like in the it has the riff with the tritone in it in the middle yeah. it has the gallopy riff there's a lot of that around that album now i think that the positives the reason why these albums exist is that it's familiar so this lineup was you hadn't had this lineup since never say die which was about 79 yeah. um and it gets younger people in because it has the good bits of the old albums and yeah. much like when i was younger and I'd be watching skate videos, and I'd go, "Here, mum, what's that song?" And she'd go, "Well, that's Pink Floyd." And I'd go, "Here, we got that." And she'd go, "Yeah," and I'd, I'd go for a record collection. I think that does the same thing for the younger kids. Yeah. Oh, dad, I listened to this band called Black Sabbath. Oh, really? Yeah, I knew them. Oh, cool. And you go back to all the old albums, and then you go, "Oh my god, look how good their own discography is." For for me, that's the same as the Greta Van Fleet effect. Yeah. It's a and. I think you just you said this to me, you know, why why isn't Jimmy Page standing up and going, Hang on a minute? 
we've already been there, lads. <laughs> sort of out. But you made the very good point of, well, kids get into it now. They bring it home. Dad overhears it and they're like, yes, yeah, this class new band, Greta Van Fleet. And the dad goes, ah, is it now? <laughs> um, yeah, you, you gave me like two songs and you were like, it's, it's basically like this. It's basically Heartbreaker or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it is. But, um, you know, I that's that's what I'd compare that to is that sort of effect. You know, I, I think that's a good uh, episode name, actually. The Greta Van Fleet effect. Might have to use that. Mm. But yeah, that kind of kind of um, sums up, doesn't it? But yeah, definitely. I there are some good tunes in it. I definitely want to listen to it again now that it will feel shorter on like the second or third yeah. listen. Um, I think God is Dead is a tune. And it is you good. can definitely hear Metallica listen to that and went, hmm. And Halo on Fire, they just they just sped up God is Dead. And Halo yep. on Fire is definitely like a good predecessor to that. Is that the yeah. right word? Predecessor. predecessor. I mean, I'm just going to say it's definitely the, you can hear that they just listened to God is Dead. And then they went, let's do that to Halo of Fire. There we go. England. That's what you're right. after. Good England. Um, Loner is good. And there are good standout bits, but... Um, what happened is also is it makes me forget the music quicker. This is again with Death Magnetic. Well, I don't listen to it as much because I'll be away from the album, try and remember the day that Nether comes or try and remember songs off of 13. And then all I can hear the riff is, is like Fate of Black or yeah. the first Sabbath albums. To me, that's what yeah. it does until I've repeatedly listened to it. Um, but again, I think they're like gateway albums, aren't they? Like we just said, younger audience, pick it up and they get into the good stuff they're hooked yeah they're hooked definitely definitely yeah no i quite agree with you i quite agree with you was there anything on there that you'd say i wouldn't have put that on the album not necessarily maybe you could have cut a couple of tracks but uh it was just nice to hear aussie and sabbath even though it was kind of like it felt like solo aussie at points yeah um but i was happy for it i was happy for it Nice, nice. Can't complain. So I gave a listen to S&M. Ooh. Now, S&M, as I'm sure we learned from last week, last week's episode, I'm not a fan. I just, I can't come to grips with it. So I, I dove back in with an open mind, um, and it kicked off with, um, I'm trying to think what their intro is called now. Is it Call of Cthulhu, or do you mean... Um, uh, the, the, yeah, it's um, Ecstasy of Gold, right? Ecstasy of Gold, thank you very much. So that kicked in, and I thought, that sounds really, really good. And then I realised that it's all on classical instruments anyway, isn't it? Ecstasy <laughs> of Gold. Um, Call of Cthulhu came in, I was like, I'm okay with this. Mm. I am absolutely fine with this. Um, sounded big, sounded heavy. I believe the strings added to it a quite a bit there. And then Master of Puppets happened. <laughs> and I'm... No. Sorry. Sorry. That was it. No. That was it. That set the second song in. I listened to it. I really liked the uh, the bridge section with the slow solo with the harmonies. I really liked that. I thought that was done well. The rest of it, Nah, I'm on. Uh, nah, go away, <laughs> go away. I got to the thing that should not be, and when 
I'm going to go listen to Master of Puppets because that's a very superior album. And I did. So I didn't even listen to the whole album. Wow, it, it was that it was that like grating to you. It was that great. I can't I I can't do it. I can't do it. Wow. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not a widely hated album. Um I mean and and even if it is, it's happened now. Yeah. Like what are you going to do about it? I, I don't get me wrong, I don't lose sleep over it. <laughs> it happened, whatever, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I uh, I'm just saying I play Saint Anger as an album above it. And I enjoy Saint Anger more. So you can take that all the way to the bank. Safely and securely and socially distanced as well. And wear a mask. Exactly. Pay contactless. Save lives. He knows. knows. Anyways, so yes, um, I think what we're going to do now is is that we'll take suggestions from other people. If you've got albums that you're like, I bet you can't listen to that. This one is terrible. I'd like go that. listen to that. I'm happy just to go through, listen to them, and, and let us know. Let us let you well let you know. You merit and the people Me. watching and listening. Oh Not yeah, watching just listening. Um, let the people Could know. Be watching. I have no idea. I have no idea. Let the people know how I feel about it and maybe how you feel about it. Yes, be good. Anyways, um, new music. So I didn't actually get around to listen to a lot of albums um, this week. I listened to two singles and I listened to an album. Um, and again, Sophie Griffin gave me that sheet. I'd seen this album and I couldn't believe it. It's called Beetle Barkers. Oh, Lord. Now, this is madness. This is absolute madness. Um, it is basically Beatles songs re-recorded, but it's animal noises. Oh, Maybe, Lord. Oh, I don't think it's, it's mainly dogs. But there's some chickens, there's some goats, there's some sheep, you know, and they are, <laughs> they are singing the songs. So Day Tripper, she loves you. I want to hold your hand. Um, all classics, all great. But yeah, it is, it's absolute madness, but it put me in such a good mood. It was so funny. It was so funny. And it is funny to be fair. It's a testament that like, how well written those Beatles songs are, even yeah. animals being manipulated into singing them work so well. That sounds very ominous. Animals being manipulated <laughs> into singing them. Fido, you will sing that song. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if that ethically supports my stance on, say, veganism. I don't but think it does. I think it's because, well, they, I would assume they went to farms and stuff and sampled them and didn't harm the animals. Um, and paid them in delicious food um but there you go um i would say go listen to day tripper off that album because you haven't lived until you heard that riff sung by animals it is so funny it's so <laughs> funny but i enjoyed it listen to the whole thing i was like fair enough so i gotta thank sophie griffin for that um mac lloyd my very good friend um he released a new song called to the brim and i really love it Really, really emotional tune. Uh, he's bearing his soul on it. Definitely comes through in the chord changes and the lyrics. Um, and I've known him since he had a t-shirt company called Iron Cloud. So when I used to be a young whippersnapper doing the old skateboarding and that, um, yeah, he kind of started this clothing company up, put me and a few friends on the team. So I've known him from then and I've seen him grow as an artist. And it's amazing. Um, his sweetheart, 
Soul Jams. I think that's what they're called. Really like them. Okay. Um, and I think another one's called Hindsight Hotel. Uh, Res One from Split Profits. Um, really good releases. So check him out. Mac Lloyd. M-A-C-L-L-O-Y-D. Um, and it's a quid on Bandcamp. So again, MacLloyd.BandCamp.com. Um, for a quid, I mean, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong. And then <clears throat> Kings of Leon popped up. Now they got a new album. I don't know when it's coming out. When you see yourself, so it stays that five-syllable thing they always do. It's called Echoing. The song was called Echoing. It was pleasant. It was kind of everything that I'd expect Kings of Leon to be. I mean, at this point, I don't actively follow them. I'm more of a first two albums kind of a person. But it kind of sounded like Interpol-esque, like third album for me musically. Um, but it was just pleasant. It was just pleasant. That's that's literally all I can say about it. It didn't scare me. It didn't invigorate me. It just happened, you know? Okay. <laughs> you I, seem a bit distracted, I, I, okay. though. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. It was... Um... It was just the description of it. I was, I was into that. It didn't invigorate me. <laughs> See, he's he's interested in my sultry tone, and he's just intoxicated by the words and the lexicon I use. Isn't that right? Oh, I can't get enough of it. Oh, by the way, put that thesaurus down. Oh, right? he's caught me. Oh, I've said it. Oh no, he's caught me. Oh dang! <laughs> oh dang! Um, uh, any songs? Me- any songs yeah, rounds new- you listen to? Uh, so, um. I didn't have a massive dive into new music as such. Oh, come on. What, were you ill or something? Yes. Yes, oh, I was. I forgot about that. However, I did. Um, I do quite like... Uh, it was released last year. Um, it's a song called Monster with uh, Shawn Mendes and Justin Bieber. I do very much like that, um, despite being quite rock and metal-oriented. I... Like me a good pop song, don't I, Marv? <laughs> you do. You really do. I wow do. by Post Malone. You are enamored oh, by that song. Don't get me started. <laughs> um, I know all the words. You do. So if you listen listening Post, I'm, I'm your boy. He's up, yeah. What, you saying you're up for a duet? Yeah. Ah, but okay. Not right now. I need to, you know. Uh, That's true. I need to sort sort this story out. Right, okay, you know. carry on. Um, Yeah, I like it. I, I just... I just think it's got a catchy hook. Uh, I also believe it's the song where Bieber's talking about um, how he acted when he was younger, and he's not... I don't think it's necessarily to do with um, taking responsibility, but I think it kind of is. I think it's more about... Um, he he was given all these things as young as he was. He was bigged up and forced into the public eye and everything, and yet everyone calls him a monster. Yeah. And I really like I, I like that concept because it's um it obviously happened. Um but at the same time it's a great tune. So well done lads, keep them coming, keep them rolling. <laughs> um I also um so a couple of I wanna say last year, maybe a year before, a uh two piece band. Um I believe they're both vocalists followed me on instagram they were called try me have you ever heard of them marv never no i haven't heard them at all uh, okay i i think they're relatively local i think they're southwest of the uk i could be completely mm-hmm. wrong but never mind well take a um, chance yeah you always gotta take a chance so last year just before halloween they were promoting this like what i assume to be an album called spooky town 
Um, it's it wasn't an album. It was, I believe, a single or two songs or something like that. Uh, again, I could have that completely wrong. I'm just speaking on. What He's going to check up. Check it up, boy. <clears throat> yes, it's a single, but there are two songs. So I respect that. Released on <laughs> Halloween. There were two songs. There was Frankenstein, which I haven't listened to yet. Mm-hmm. And there was Rotten. Now, Rotten, I absolutely love. I adore it. It's like, it's it's electronic. It's um, very sort of dancey, very hoppy, bouncy. Um, and so it's a, a male and a female. And the male's got a cracking voice. He's got a really good voice. And so is she. And they just work really, really well together. The The rapport they have, their, vo- their vo- voices both work really well together. Um, <clears throat> and there's just a charm to it. I think it's fantastic. There's no other way I can explain it. Amazing. I, rec- I recommend you go and listen to that, Marv. Um, Rotten by Try Me. Nice. Can I get that anywhere? Spotify, Spotify. YouTube? Spotify, YouTube. Love it. All good music uh, vendors these days. <clears throat> you know it, you know it. MySpace, Friendster. Um, High five, Bebo. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's but, where you uh, go for no. your music, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. <laughs> but yeah, I really, really enjoyed the song. Um, again, great job, guys. Keep them coming. <clears throat> Keep them bangers rolling down, yeah. <laughs> From your biggest fan, Mez. Who is wearing... I am your biggest who's, fan. <laughs> who's wearing a Bristol Bears hat, and it looks great. I am wearing one. And if you don't like it, oh, how is Bath? It left you yet? What was the score? 48-3. See you later, kids. So, sorry to all our bath letters that have now turned off and hate us forever. (laughs) Anyway, so... Never mind. We can finally get into the episode now. Yes. Um, So, we're going to centre around debut albums. Now, debut album is very, very important in a band's discography because that's where you start. That's where the seed gets planted. And that's where, you know, everything happens. Um, I'm going to centre it around the Blue Album by Weezer. Okay. Because I think, especially in my musical kind of knowledge and world, it's more, it seems to be more of a hindrance to them further on down the line you get. Now, um, they had two incredibly good records yes. to start with. Obviously, Pinkerton wasn't well received when it came out, but now it's kind of regarded as their best work along with the Blue Album. And they've had a very up and down career. The, the noughties yep. were kind of very divisive. A lot of people jump ship, especially at Ratitude, which we will get to. <laughs> um, 2010s kind of seen a bit more of a resurgence, kind of kind of went back to the roots. Did a really cracking album and the White Album. Um, some would say maybe tailed off a little bit towards the end. And then obviously, OK Human came out 2021. Amazing. Really, really good. And it's a good full circle moment in the fact that it sounds nothing like they've done before. And it can be viewed on its own merits. But everyone always has a debate of what's better, Blue or Pinkerton? Or every time they release something, this is the best thing since Blue. This sounds like Blue. This doesn't sound like Blue. Oh, they should go back to something they did in 994. And it's like, can't you just let a band be a band? Can't you just let someone grow? You know what I mean? Um, So also that's, you know, kind of inspiration for the logo we had. You like, make it that kind of Weezer Blue album color. (laughs) And I did. And I did. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to kind of view a lot of mine choices are going to be from um, really, really good debut albums. Now, I do have a list of weak debuts by good artists. 
Um, Pablo Honey by Radiohead always comes up, always comes up. I don't think it's terrible. It's just grunge. It's just grungy kind of Britpop. Well, not even Britpop, but like British grunge um, against all that other work. Yeah, of course, it's going to be the weakest, but you can't judge a band like Radiohead just on that. And it does have creep, so that propelled them. And then they kind of fix it in the bends, and then look how much they kind of got onto now. Uh, The first Paramore album, all we know is Falling, probably their weakest, but they were how old? Like 13 to 15 years old? That's unbelievable. Like, the music I would have made at 15 would have been just terrible. Let's not talk about terrible. let's not talk about the music I would have made at fifteen. <laughs> so I mean in that regard it's great. But yeah, to me it yeah. doesn't apply. Chili Peppers first record usually gets regarded as their worst. I mean the band aren't too hyped on it in terms of the way it sounds. Um the Andy Gill, who was the Gang of Four, he was in Gang of Four, uh wanted a lot of drum machines and eighties gated reverbs and samples, so like the production's not very good. But I mean Anthony Kiedis rapping in what eighty three eighty four against funk grooves, yeah, kind of kind of unheard of, yeah. And look what they kind of turned into. Um, first Bob Dylan album, it's quite plain. It's very, I very can plain. imagine. Yeah, but I mean, his second record, stunning. How many debut albums <laughs> can a man make? It's one. The answer is just, just the one, Bob. Just the one. Simon and Garfunkel, Wednesday morning, three a.m. Kind of made them split up in a way. Because then Paul Simon went to London, then he came back with all these great songs. It's all right. It's okay. It's got the sound of silence on it, the original. Um, Avenged Sevenfold, their debut album is considered not very good. I think it's more in the view of like Caius and Lamb of God, and the yeah. the production is not good at all. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, but maybe yeah. the songs are okay, um, but maybe in Caius and Lamb of God, their sound was probably pretty much there well, we'll, avenged, we'll, we'll get to lamb of god's debut album shortly <laughs> and um and prince's first album when he was 19 played all the instruments um definitely wasn't the impact that i guess he wanted but i mean look how much the guy grew yeah untouchable work great incredible um, yeah so do you want to chat about the blue album first with with old me I am more than happy to do that. Oh, Jack. he loves it. He loves it. So I only got into Weezer probably when I was about 20, 21, which is very late. I knew Buddy Holly. I knew Pork and Beans. I knew The World Has Turned and Left Me Here, which was off um, Skate Video. Uh, Man Down, Tilt Mode Army. Love it. Caswell Berry section. Love that. For all the skateboarders out there. So yeah, and I remember <clears throat> a friend of mine was like, well, check it out. So... I remember buying a big stack of CDs from HMV. I think I spent about 150 quid or 120 quid on loads of CDs. This was when I was like building up my collection. And I I must have bought Debut. I think I bought Pinker and Deluxe. I think I bought Ratitude. I bought Make Believe. I might have bought Red as well. Um, Brought them all back. Blue Album. Amazing. Ratitude. I spent 15 quid on that and it pained me it pained me at the time i was like what (laughs) is this oh good lord but anyway fan love with blue so much pinkerton first couple of listens i didn't really i didn't really get too much um and then it just started hitting me really really hard um i definitely fall into that camp of 
you know, being a Pinkerton fanboy and really sticking up for it. Really related to all the themes on the album um, and got me through a lot of tough times. And it's still my favorite album of all time at this, at this current moment. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I've been forcing myself to listen to new music and other things. But I just think it's great compositionally, thematically. I think it's great. But Blue Album, I'll oh, just... Like, if we're talking about near-perfect albums, not even debuts, that has to be there, doesn't it? Has so good. So good. I mean, I, I I was the same ballpark as you in terms of I knew Buddy Holly, uh, not on the album. I also knew Pork and Beans. Um, and I loved both. And I believe uh, when we started hanging out more, you uh, you introduced me to a lot. But Weezer, the Blue Album... Oh, I heard it. it was it was like the world went from black and white to color. Like it, you could say, it went from black and white to blue. Nice. I knew hey, he was going hey. there. I knew uh, he was going. Well, I had there. to fill it in. <laughs> All right, don't cough about. Oh, he's he's yeah. I'm good. He's I'm good. good. He's good. good. Okay. Cool. All good. Stand down. Stand the ambulance down. We're all good. Um, <laughs> it's all right. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, no, the. Um, the thing was, um, it was, I believe that album was one of my, one of the first things that sort of showed me that it's, it's okay to be like into metal and heavier music, but also like music that wasn't so heavy. Also like music with pop chord progressions in and songs about feelings that weren't angry or fast or hate or, you know, you get a gist of what I'm going towards. Um, but no, Blue Album absolute peak um you obviously love pinkerton for personal reasons um and pinkerton's great as well but the blue album is just you want weezer that's where you're going for me definitely and i think i would i would echo the same thing i wouldn't push people towards pinkerton if they knew nothing about weezer because i think yeah it's a bit misrepresentative of them um you go to blue it's simple it's digestible it's smart it's intelligent especially compositional wise it's oh, definitely everything's pared down very simple and it just works it's so hooky so <clears throat> no one knew really it was going to be like a smash hit as it was um they were kind of just thinking oh we'll just sell a you know a modest amount they were kind of t- touring already um they're already playing like these big hits like saying so the sweater song they're already playing them to people and people just like oh, i want a grunge band whatever yeah it's just mad to think that you know absolutely um and yeah i mean it comes out it was so refreshing for the time i think kurt cobain had died months prior to the album coming out so a lot of people viewing that as you know grunge dying at about 1994 yeah Yeah. um so people wanted something fresh and the blue album was really really fresh because it wasn't sad it wasn't mopey very happy music yeah there were themes of like sadness and alienation and you know, especially like no one else. Yeah. <clears throat> like Rivers says, like no one else is me being the asshole to my girlfriend. And then the world has turned and left me here, which is the next track is me wondering like, where's my girlfriend gone? Yeah. yeah. Um, so they tour a lot around it and Rivers gets so bored touring the same 10 songs. They had a couple of B sides. Um, and I've got his Pinkerton diaries which I think I bought when it came out. I mean, 2011. Okay. So like, it starts from when the Blue Album's released all the way up to the end of the Pinkerton tour. Oh, wow. Um, so I'll give you a little snippet of what he says 
touring is like. This is why he got so bored. He got so bored that he signed up for Harvard. Well, he's like, I want to go. I want to go to school. Like, this is boring me being a rock star. Um, typical day: drive for five hours through incredibly boring terrain, usually the desert, with frequent stops for hacky sack. Um, just saying, we play a lot of hockey, hacky sack. When we're not hacking, we're reading. All the driving affords me plenty of time to read. So that's what he was doing quite a lot to pass the time. Yeah. Um, I also get to write a lot of letters. Then around dinner time, we arrive in some new random city and unload our equipment into the nightclub. Then we hack some more. After sound check, we have dinner. Meals usually consist of puffed wheat or peanut butter and jelly, except for the ever more frequent record company sponsored meal. These are usually exotic, delicious, and extremely expensive. The only drawback is we have to be social with the record company executive while we're trying to stuff our faces. <laughs> um, after, after dinner, we might do an interview with a local radio station or paper. Then we hack some more. Then we play the show. Because we're touring with a very popular band, Material Issue, never heard of them, most of the shows are sold out. The clubs are usually packed with 600 screaming 14-year-old girls. After the show, we autograph our posters and meet people, 14-year-old girls, and suggest to them that they buy our record. We usually close out the day with a good old round of hack and then retire to the motel. So probably the same old story we've heard a lot of times and something that we've experienced in our function band days of where are we going to today? We're going to um, Birmingham. Cool. How long is it? This long. Um, What's the food? This It's on the itinerary. We go there, we drive have a great time, play. We have to stay every stay over, come back. Yeah. And you do remember the gigs. Like if people, if you see the photos and people go, remember that thing? You go, yeah, yeah. But they do generally blur into one. Yes. Um, Especially with ski season when we had to play pretty much every day by the weekends. It just all starts blurring into one. And if you're playing the same songs, imagine we play what, 25 to 30 songs sometimes in one night. Imagine playing the same 10 songs Every single night, pretty much. Just you. I mean, given we've been in lockdown for this long, I'm issuing to play one song every night. But <laughs> under under usual circumstances, yes, it it does get mundane. Well, it's like anything. It's like anything in a day job. You know, you you get in, you clock in, you start doing what you're doing. You know, it's no different to any other day of the week. And that is what a to- being a touring professional musician is all about. You just mm. You're doing the same thing, but the the yeah, you're good at something. You're getting paid to do something. That's why you're there. That's why you're doing it. So yeah, Pingan comes out. It's not as successful as he kind of wanted it to be. And generally, what happens there is is that Rivers kind of goes, "I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to bear my soul on a record anymore." But obviously, now over time, it's it's praised as like kind of being a very very good emo album, um, and people want him to do that. And this is what I mean. Like people just expect that of him all the time. And it's like, he's not the same person he was when he was 26. No, it's, 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 like, it? it's the same across the board with all these other albums that we want to talk about and generally become very successful at an early age. Um, or your day bounds really good. It's like, you're not going to be the same person. People don't, people don't want the same thing. They do want the same thing. Yeah. And in okay humans case with the, with Weezer 2021, it was the album that I didn't know I wanted. There's no, wasn't expecting that at all. Piano and orchestra for a Weezer album. You see that on paper and you're like, don't know, to kind of just want guitars back. And then you get it and you're like, this is what I want. Just keep doing this, please. Yeah. Please. 
I think I think that's a, a very good point actually because you said people people know what they want but then they don't know what they want. I'm just going to round it off for you. Nobody knows what they want. Okay, um, as consumers in the society we currently live in, we are pointed in the direction of what we want. That's mm. how marketing and advertisement works, isn't it? But um, we'll just jump off the political and social commentary train for a minute there um no the amount of times we've all done it uh right down to the what do i want to listen to today i don't know and that's why i i I guess that's why we have things like advertising and marketing um but no and i it's fantastic that we have so much choice um but i think that obviously bears a burden in a lot of ways but um no i quite agree with you i think um I think sort of general fan bases of a lot of bands and artists these days, they want one thing, but they're incredibly fickle when they either get it or don't get it. There's no in between. It's it's either going to pique their interest or it's just not. Exactly. Exactly. And I think as well, um, something I definitely did in my younger years was like, you go to, your favorite band to be able to provide everything you want in music. And yeah. it's just impossible. It's not going to happen. Too. Um, so basically what happened there was, is that Pink was received really badly. Rivers Cuomo went, I ain't doing that anymore. And they went to very kind of very streamlined and just formulaic, formulaic power pop starting with green. And really you just look, you look up and it is just formulaic power pop um, because that's what he thought. That was his reaction to stuff. Now, I think the the nadir of all that, the worst of that, would be Ratitude, 2009. Now, again, I bought this for 15 quid. Didn't know anything about the legacy of Weezer or, you know, just knew kind of those couple of songs, Buddy Harley, Pork and Beans. And, oh, my God, it was like listening to some pop band trying to do, like trying to interject guitars in. It was almost like Metro Station. Yeah. Remember them? It was like... Oh, I just felt so disappointed. I was so gutted. And you're listening to Can't Stop Parting and then Little Wayne suddenly does a rap and you're like, where is the connection here? I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, that, that that's a long shot, isn't it? It's a very long shot about a song where a guy's just, he just he's in the club, he's got bottles of vodka, all these women around him, like, let's go, let's party, let's go. And you got you know, drum machines and synths everywhere and the guitars are very low in the mix. It's like, I, I couldn't get the lineage. It was literally two different bands. Um, I think it is definitely their worst work. Um, I think if you view it as, you look at about 2009 at the time and I think rock was definitely dying out at this point and they were still on the major. I think they're on Geffen. You know, it's kind of like, come on guys, you still need to kind of make a hit. We're still paying for this stuff and whatever their kind of le- their situation was. Um, so maybe it was a reaction to that, you know, like with pork and beans where it was like, maybe I should work with Timberland because you know, you can, you yeah. can get to the top of the charts, but they ended up doing that on the next record and it just completely plummeted. Um, it's an interesting listen. I think um, the best track is if you're wondering if I want you to, I want you to long annoying title, but good. I like it. And you compare that to something like Make Believe, which um, is quite sad and quite droll and quite 
plodding and mid-tempo, just like the yawn you're doing now. Exactly, exactly. Some of us have um, been up since 5 a.m. <laughs> All right, it's not a competition, but I'll let you off. I'll let you but off. I'd win if it um, was. That is, okay, one point to you, one whole point. Um, you look at something like uh, the Black album they did in, I think, 2019, and I don't remember 2020, but around that time, it's just like, they're trying to experiment way. That's way more pop leaning. Um, at yeah. least Ratitude does have some kind of heavy guitars. It has more of a thread to blue. Um, I don't want to let you go, which is the last track. It's very nice. I feel like they perfected that on endless bummer on the white album, um, in the doo-wop structure. Um, it's definitely an interesting listen to a band that if you like them for Pinkerton, Oh my god, it's so disappointing. If you like them for blue, kind of disappointing as well. But I mean, I you can see the lineage. If you look for all their albums, it's still very much a shock. But I view it like X Factor with you. Listen to that last yeah. because it will just almost not that it will destroy your thought about Weezer, but you kind of just go, well, it's almost like that's the record they kind of had to make at that point, and then. They leave that label. They go on to Epitaph and do Hurley, which was a little bit of a return to form. It's still very pop heavy. Um, then we get Everything Will Be All Right in the end, which was like a good back to back to the roots album. Um, white album, great. Okay, Human, great. A lot of people hopped off at Green. A lot of people hopped off at Red. A lot of people hopped off at Ratitude. But they're very much up and down. This is why I think, this is why I think the Blue Album was a hindrance. Um because they're just never going to live up to that. No. Even though they've made great records and great songs, and um, I don't hold them accountable just for Blue and just for Pinkerton. I like to listen to those albums on their own merit and take it face value, but they're just sucked into that. People just want Blue all the time. And like he said, I'm not that person anymore. So in a way, even though he's taken himself out, He's being true to himself and going, I'm not going to lie to you and just give you those albums. I think the closest he's ever done was Do You Want to Get High from the White Album. He uses the same chord progression. It sounds very Pinkerton-esque. For me, I don't give that a repeat listen all the time because it sounds like a parody of Pinkerton. I'd rather go listen to Pinkerton. And that is my thoughts on Blue. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think it's a very interesting point to list the band's most successful album as a bit of a hindrance. Um, but I understand why, and that makes complete sense. Uh, however, do not ever talk about the Blue Album in some sort of bad way again, because I'll cry myself to sleep <laughs> all the time. I mean... If your debut album's that good, you're set up for life. Like, yeah. it's not really that much of a hindrance in the whole scheme of things. Some bands never achieve that. They yeah. never achieve that. Yeah, very true. Exactly. Exactly. So, doing out of the gate must be great. But it must I've be. been chatting too long, Mez. I want to hear <laughs> your pick and your advice, <clears throat> please. Okay, so I had a bit of a different mission. I looked into a few of the debut albums I own. Um, I enjoy all of these, I might like to add. Um, the first one we are going to look at is Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. 
because I know Marv is just, you just can't get into it, can you, Marv? I mean, I've never listened to the album. Never. I only know, I'm like a greatest hits fan of his, that I only know the hits that come on the radio or come on like yeah. people's things. Um, and I just think, I think something like the kind of operatic, how would you categorize it? Operatic kind of style it's, of music? It's, it's rock opera. Yeah. Just turns me off. Turns me off. <laughs> and I understand I'm like that. A, I'm, like a, I'm like a windsock on a windless day. <laughs> a windsock on a windless day. i got to thank New Girl for that, but fair enough. Nice. So this album was released in 1977. I've moved on very quickly there. Um, <laughs> at this time, punk was rife. So obviously it was the thing. Um, yeah. The movement was very much alive. Um, and classic rock had more or less been scattered to the wind nearly by this point. Um, but yeah, so anyway, Jim Steinman and Meatloaf. Meatloaf sang the record. Jim Steinman wrote it. Very, very good friends. Meatloaf had a tough upbringing. Um, always being bullied. Uh, I believe he was abused by his parents to some degree. I believe his mum disappeared. Mm. And... Um, his dad, like, got drunk one night and tried to kill him or something. It's really, really brutal. Yeah, I know. That is, that's mad. Yeah, yeah. So he ran away to New York, I believe. And that's where he met Jim Steinman. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, the album was not received well. Do you know that? No, again, like, I, I know nothing about it. So given, given the album's later across-the-board commercial success... It was initially rejected by every single label it was pitched to. Wow. Including one uncomfortable meeting with legendary power broker Clive Davis, whose response to the length and unusual structure and the content of the songs, it was it was so negative, he told Jim Steinman that maybe he should uh, buy some rock records and learn how to write songs. Oh, wow. Um, Considering not long after that, it's been 522 weeks uh, at the top of the UK. How how does that not crush your soul? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, It was... um, Yeah, so there was a lot in terms of recording. The band they put together for it were absolutely fantastic. Incredible musicians. Uh, in the studio and live, absolutely amazing. Uh, so there was like a rough patch of remixes. There was deals that fell apart, but it was finally released on Cleveland International, um, a small label whose parent company was Epic. Um, Epic was not excited about the record at all. Wow. Uh, very, very little in terms of promotion. So that obviously made the initial response slow. But um, Meatloaf performed the title track, Bat Out of Hell, which is nine minutes long, I might add. So long. On the on the old grey whistle test. Um, and it exploded. Absolutely just went mental. Um, since then, we've had Bat 2 and 3. Um, now, I've got it on good authority... Because I don't, this is quite funny. So I adore Bat Out of Hell. 
But two, three, anything after Bat Out of Hell, I know nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know well, that... this. This this brings on to a good point, though, doesn't it? Yeah. That he, like me, I only know Bat Out of Hell, the song. Yeah. As in, like, to encapsulate who Meatloaf is. Now, to me, he's that artist in my brain. Yeah. He is just. He just doesn't Bat Out of Hell. I'd have no. I have no desire to like no deep album cuts of his yeah and the fact that he's done like bad hell two bad hell three it's like he knows well this works people like this this will bring in people like myself that will go i might check that out because bad hell is a good song yeah let's see what happens you know one of the best selling albums of all time i'm sure everyone knows that fact i've got it um twice on original press lp because uh, someone bought it for me and then I found another copy, which I'm quite happy about. Wait, if you play that, if you play them both at the same time, is that bad of how to? No. Have you ever tried? No. Well, I'm just going to leave that there then. Maybe you should uh, give it a little go. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was recorded with $35,000 of borrowed money. And it sold 50 million copies. That is a pretty good turnaround. Imagine if you're just like, carry on, pay back, mate, sorry. Yeah, literally. No. Uh, the runtime is an hour and a minute. There are seven tracks. The songs that stick out for me are the title track, obviously. You took the words right out of my mouth. I love that so much. So much. Um, two out of three ain't bad. And Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Mm. Fantastic songs. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, I know you're not, Marv. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll give it a go all next week. I'll put that on my album to listen to. Have a go. See if I can see if I can get shake off the uh, meatloaf assumptions that I've got. I mean, it's very like we say. It's very rock opera, um, and that it, it just is unapologetically what it is. It's very um, teenage angsty, you know, that sort of paradise by the dashboard light. The whole thing is about sort of American teens driving a girl up to like, like a, like a point where there's no one around so they can make out. That's what the whole song's oh, yeah. about. Oh yeah. Um, but it's, it's fantastic. It's the way it's written. It's the way it's performed. Um, and I just, I just think it's an absolute diamond to be honest with you. It's understandable why it sold so many copies, in my opinion. Okay. Do you think, again, um, it obviously is going to overshadow all of his career? Yeah. For for a casual, oh yeah, not even a casual listener like me, like a one-time occasional listener. To me, that's 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 all he is. Yeah, I understand that though. And to be honest with you, I don't listen to any other meatloaf. I mean, he had. I tell a lie. I, I do like um, Dead Ringer for Love, but I don't necessarily class that as Meatloaf. Um, that's Meatloaf and Cher. Oh, yeah. that But that also wasn't received well, believe it or not. Um, well, the we, thing is, we've got hindsight, haven't we? Yeah. Looking back. So we, yeah, we'd course. be like, that's surprising. But that's the same with some, well, not most of it, but some day albums like that that then become these big things. Yeah. You just think initially that doesn't sell kind of well. That's a bit weird. It is kind of strange how it happens like that, but uh, as you say, hindsight. Um, mm. 
the latest album is a live album, but we'll ignore that. The latest album <laughs> was released in 2016, and it's it's called like Braver Than We Are. Okay, which to me doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but I believe Jim Steinman wrote it. I believe. Um, which is like you you'd expect like a return to form at that point, wouldn't you? Like Steinman's writing it, Meatloaf's singing it. A load of guys have been hired in to play the instruments. So you'd assume that to be like the next bar of hell. It's just not very good. It's just not very good. There's one song then, that I, on. I have to switch it off. Uh, it's called Who Needs the Young? And it's it's just unusual. I have no <laughs> other way of describing it. It's unusual. And I, I can't pigeonhole it in any sense of the word. There's no real genre consistency. It changes yeah. on a penny. And there's a whole middle section which becomes crass, not needed. It's, oh, I just can't be doing with it, Marv. Do you know what that, it almost makes you think they sat, they sat down as old folks. We're like, oh, these young folks these days with their PS2s <laughs> oh, and their flip watches. Oh, I just can't stand it. That's a good song title. You'll put that in there. We don't like the children. <laughs> don't know why he's from that accent, but we don't like the British, children. That's what you just did. Um, no, it, I'm a musical genius. All right, I'm a virtuoso. I'm a, yeah, all right. I'm just but can I'm you sweep to the world? No. Can I sweep? I can sweep floors. I've got three years in sweeping well floors. Done. Experience that good for you? Well done, mate. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, okay. No, actually, as much as you made it a joke, I do actually think that is possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, meatloaf, bad of hell. If you haven't listened to it, could not recommend it enough but kind of leave it about out of hell. Unless, I don't know, you just feel like... I think two's okay as well. Three is pushing it, but then that's the same with movies, isn't it? But yeah, um, it's kind of time with Meatloaf. Um, I went with Nas Ilmatic. Nice. Now, I know you're a huge Biggie fan. Don't get me started. And again, like with a lot of stuff, I show you it and you absorb it, and then you just comp- you go out of the gate. You know every single word. <laughs> you just get obsessed with it. It's amazing. You could rap Biggie forever. I could. I absolutely, absolutely could. Maybe, maybe we'll um, we won't make you do an example now. But maybe if there's enough demand for it. No, not now. Mez can do some rapping. You know maybe. I mean, you'd, you'd sound very, very good right now with the old husky voice. Yeah, you reckon? Do you? I think it'd be great. <laughs> um. So yeah, I Nas has a similar thing with or Nas. I'm gonna say Nas because Nas. I'm gonna forget I'm gonna forget. Um It's regarded as the perfect album. It is so very, very, very good. Yeah. So very good. One of the best albums of all time, let alone just it being a best one of the best rap albums of all time. It's got brilliant storytelling, um, like the rap skills that he's perfecting on that album that he kind of got that Rakim started with all this um can't remember what the word is but um monosyllabic rapping it might be called okay um, where your your internal rhyming that's the one so the thing that rakeem um innovated with like internal rhyme schemes 
not stopping your senses at the end of the bars, kind of going over bars. It was very, very fresh. And Nas really kind of uh, brought that into his own on this album. Came out the same year as Ready to Die. Again, that's flawless. Every song on both those albums can be singles. That's how good they are. Yeah, insane. Illmatic, amazing. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. Listeners, please, please. It's a staple of hip hop. It's a staple of music. It's so well done. His voice is so smooth. The delivery is like effortless. It's hard hitting when it needs to be. And it's serious when it needs to be. But again, he's like 19, 20 at this point. Very, very young. Um, it, again, like Meatloaf, it didn't really sell that much. It wasn't critically re- well received right out of the gate. And then suddenly it's like, this is amazing. This is, you are the new person in rap. You are the, the best. Um, Around. <laughs> Thanks for that. Any time, Chum. Any time. But you know, I think like with anybody, you kind of want to just experiment a little bit, you know, branch out and go, I don't want to make the same album again. Let's see if I can build off of this. No matter how good your debut album is, if it's solidifying your sound, you obviously want to experiment. Yeah. Because like, like Blue, you're going to get bored playing the same 10 songs. Then if you add another 10 songs to it, they're just going to be exactly the same. So then you've got twice the amount of songs that sound the same. Not going to be very enjoyable. No. Um, so he does, it was written the second album. I think it's very good. I think that was great. He really pulled off, moving into a bit more of a mainstream sound with a bit more broader topics. If I Ruled the World featuring Lauren Hill, lovely song. Like perfectly lovely. Great. Um, and then I Am and Nostradamus came out. So this was like an instance where the internet happened and stuff got leaked. He wanted I Am to be a double album. And what happened was he released I Am um, first, got it out there, then quickly recorded some songs to make up for Nashadamas. So I think Nashadamas is the weaker of the two. I Am has got some hits on it. But you listen to Hate Me Now. Do you know Hate Me Now? It's got Puffy in it. Puffy I am not. It's not coming to mind. So, sim- in a similar vein to Ratitude, Blue Island Ratitude, where you're like, this is the same band where the guy's singing about, I'll be your baby tonight and I'm your daddy and I can't stop partying. Really? This guy? Um, where Nas is kind of like, the beats are quite synthetic and he's he's talking about himself being the best and, you know, you can hate me or whatever, like all these things, like banging tune though like yeah really really good but but the reception has been like is this the same person this is definitely different but taking it back to biggie biggie's second record you know he didn't want to he couldn't talk about being in the crack game anymore no nope. and living in poverty because he wasn't no he, he kind of mentioned it in juicy but his second album life after death ironically titled like He's talking about like, well, I'm this now. I'm I'm a celebrity now. I'm a superstar now. Yeah. I feel like it gets no flack. That's a very, very great album as well. Class. I feel like it gets no flack. But Nas seems to get all the flack in, in that regard. From Nas, from, from I Am, which was pretty solid, but, you know, content-wise, it was definitely a lot different. Nashradamus, um, and then Stillmatic. Like, it's very synthetic-sounding beat-wise. It's very like that 1998 yeah. Um, almost fake instrumenty sounding Destiny's Child. 
think of like early Destiny's Child. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're uh, saying. Bills, Bills, Bills. Think of think of the beat to Bills, Bills, Bills. No scrubs. Imagine that across a whole yeah. album, you know, where you've had really lush samples before and um, staples of kind of that hip hop genre, especially the early nineties. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can point to "Hate Me Now" as the easiest song to point out for like the biggest contrast and sound, but it does bop. Um, but this is what he wanted to do, and again. He he didn't know that Illmatic was going to be huge. He just put it out. It's not up to him. It's not up to any artist of how good a record is, you know. Um, they can only just get it as good as they want to. And it's up to the audience to put it out there. Um, it's just interesting to think that perhaps Nas realized this change would bring this kind of reception. So I think on I Am, you get New York State of Mind Part 2. So on Illmatic, you get New York State of Mind. Yeah. Um, and then you get this kind of callback. So like Meatloaf of like uh, Battle Hell 2-3, we've now got this kind of thing in the songs where he's done a part two of the song. Yeah. Um, and DJ Premier to the rescue, he can do no wrong. Um, DJ and producer of Gangstar. Um, a lovely song. Really, really nice sounding song. Takes you back to Illmatic, so it's kind of that connection there. Um, <clears throat> and also Naz is like, which kind of puts us towards Godson, which to me is a really good rebirth, a really solid record in his kind of mid-noughties career. Um, but we kind of had to wait a whole album for Godson. We got Still Matic, so I think he knew at this point that, well, I need to kind of harken back to Illmatic because it's this good. Maybe I can never beat it. So why don't I lean into this? So he's called it Still Matic. Yeah. So it's pretty much you could you're leaning that. on yeah, Illmatic yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Um, and that's got some bangers. It's got a, one of the best diss tracks of all time, Ether, which is a diss track from, for Jay-Z, yeah, by the way. Yeah. Very interesting beef, if you want to look at it. I've, I've been discussing it with a friend of mine. But yeah, still Matic still kind of has that synthetic-y sound to me. Um, second Childhood gives us the closest thing to Illmatic. And again, pretty sure it's DJ Premier. Um, but it does sound disjoint to the rest of the album. And I think Nas is kind of really, now he's kind of, a, he's in legend status. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. No. It doesn't really matter. Um, but he gives us Godson. It's the perfect union of these records, which is I Am, Nostradamus, and Stillmatic. It's the right sprinkle of Illmatic to make the record that looks forward and nods to the past, rather than kind of like back to the roots. I'm going to give you Stillmatic too. Yeah. Um, to me, Stillmatic, I. Maybe it might be as weak as Stillmatic or. Nostradamus, but I'm going to put Steel Mac because Nostradamus was, I don't, I don't think he could help that happening. It's kind of a rush project because of this whole internet leak. But he was definitely in this weird, weird situation where it was like he needs to kind of get up out of the water now, like stop sinking, yeah. make something good, and he does that on Godson. Godson straight out the gate, very, very good record. I think you'd really, really like that. Yeah, I think you'd like Thugs Thugs Mansion, which has two pack on it and it's just two acoustic guitars. Okay, nice. Really, really refreshing to hear. Um, but this is what I mean. Like, it's like, would Biggie, if he had lived, would he have gone down the same route and people would have had a go at him, basically, and criticized him in that way? But then, you know, like we said, hip hop changes, music changes. You have to go with something current. Nas, at least, I guess, was trying to be current. He was trying to change things up. He didn't dilute Illmatic. I think the only way he did it was, was trying to release the album with the same name. But you listen to the contents, and it's very, very far from it. It's very, very far away from it. It'd be like Battle of Hell 2 being 
I don't know, not a rock opera, being pop, being new wave. Yeah, I think it entirely depends, doesn't it, really? I mean, I mean, of course it does. But, I don't know, with Biggie, I mean, it could have gone anyway. Really, I, I would think he would just carry on doing what he was doing back then, and once it stopped being a moneymaker, he'd move on to something else, I, I guess. I mean, he was he was already um, in charge of developing an artist or two, wasn't he? I believe. I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I mean, I think... I'm sure he was looking after Lil' Kim. I mean, yeah, more than looking after her. <laughs> According to the history. But no, you yeah, you're I mean. probably right. Because you really like what song is that you're bumping right now, the Little Kim oh, song. Oh, Crush on You. <sighs> you are enamored by that song. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> so good. So good. The snare sound makes me want to cry. Two big ones here. I think the best debut album of all time. Appetite for Destruction. Oh, he's gone in. I think it's the biggest selling debut album of all time. It is enormous. Every song, it could be a single, enormous. Um, I bought this at Tesco, this album. So rock and roll, baby. I don't know how you can... A bit like definitely maybe by Oasis, right? Where the problem with these kind of bands or those albums debut, if you're looking at them kind of critically, is like it was a moment in time where they were like young they were literally hungry starving at some points and they were talking about how their lives were at that point you can't keep doing that forever no because the second your debut album goes massive you're touring you're becoming into this rock star life yeah you're not broke anymore you know generally for a lot of people so what the hell do you sing about if that thing made such a big success a big dent you have to change up of course um Someone like Jay-Z kind of gets criticized for talking about, you still talk about selling drugs, even though you're this multimillionaire. And it's like, well, if it kind of works, it kind of works. But I understand the criticism. Um, if it works, it works. You just go and do it. But, oh, just, just such, like, the thing is you can't predict that impact. Definitely, maybe. Right. Absolutely huge when it came out. It was a massive, it helped propel UK rock into what it is. Yeah. Look at Arctic Monkeys. Look at the influence it, it took. Um, same for Appetite. And, you know, things start going wrong. You get big, you get successful, you get drugs. <laughs> you just implode on your own success. And a big thing for me is, like, if I went to see Guns N' Roses now and they only played Appetite songs, I would be more than satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. More than satisfied. That is uh, more than a lot of other bands could say about their debut. I'd be like Weezer. I'd be a bit pissed off. If they only played blue appetite. I could like list appetite and be like, yep. Amazing. Absolutely. Don't care about knocking on heaven's door. Use your illusion one or twos. Great records. Maybe you could put them into a single ambi, but more concise. Yeah. But to be honest, like I'm more than happy with them being like that. And you look at something like Chinese democracy where it's almost like a different band, isn't it? I mean, it, it is a it different is a band. Different band yeah. Yeah, that that is my experience with uh, with Appetite as well. It's just perfect, start to finish. Not a blemish on it. Um, right down from the songwriting to the playing. Oh, man, so good. So good. Slash said about his guitar parts, he said, what we accomplished there can never be duplicated. Because a lot of the things of, uh, I think the guitar was a rented one. And yeah. The was. 
was all these tweaks and they never get it back. I think he lied to the rental company and was like, yeah, I've given it back. And they were like, and I think one of the engineers gave it back or something. Yeah. But he said, I did a song a day. I'd show up and make a coffee in Jack Daniels and get to work. He used a Gibson SG on my Michelle, which that's for your guitar nerds out there. There you go. Um, the interesting thing is that he had to guess when the band came in on Sweet Child of Mine. So they did the basic tracks and then he was in a separate studio. So they had no click track, no hi-hat on anything. So they would just go recording, no computer to show the wavelengths, you know, playing that riff, which for copyright purposes, I will not be performing a cappella, <laughs> um, which is why you need to do your riffs at like 95% correct. Oh, Lord. To get around it. So he's playing this riff and he's got it here. Dun, 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 dun. Took him forever. It's like, that must be so excruciatingly annoying. And then the thing is, you'd, you'd get it and nail it. Then you've got to carry on and play it. Yeah. All the way through. Yeah. And that is not an easy song on guitar. I mean, look at the solo. Ridiculous. 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 But he makes it sound effortless. He does. Um, yeah. But again, that's, you know, and look at Definitely Maybe. Took three times to record and mix. They record, re-recorded it so many times. That That's what made that album. They were living that, what exactly what they were singing. Exactly, about. yeah. Um, and you can't want any more than that, you know? Like they're they're not expecting that to be the barometer of how ten years down the line how they should sound because no. they're in that moment and that's what you want from bands. Really. Of course, the review from definitely maybe back in the day, a simple I feel fine celebration of youth, pleasure, escapism, and total possibility with no hidden agenda, a record full of songs to live to, made by a gang of reckless northern reprobates who you can easily dream of joining. Again, like the relatability, like um, cigarettes and alcohol. Is there is there is it basically worth trying to find a job if there's nothing worth looking for? You know, going down the doll and your dad's with you trying to get a job as well as you. Like, yeah. what's the point? Very relatable to a lot of people there in that time, even still now, you know. Um, but their kind of bad record, Be Here Now, which I think is their weakest one overall. It's way too long. It's way too bloated. Noel kind of dismisses it. Liam really sticks up for it. Um I seen them in 2008, I think a couple of months before they actually broke up. They played My Big Mouth. Um, sounds really good and rocking live. There are a lot of rockers, but it's just, it's just way too long. And it's almost like they went from, it's almost like they went from like potheads to like 80s bankers in like a span of like two years, yeah. three years. Yeah. Because it's like 94 and 97, crazy meteoric rise. The amount of cocaine on that record just, yeah. whew, so much, so much. Uh, and it's got the longest number one single, Be Here Now has, with uh, All Around the World. Nine minutes, 20. Wow. Very, very that long. The video, long. Is very, the video is very peak Beatles homage. Johnny Depp plays slide guitar. Don't know if you knew that on the record. Didn't know that, no. Well, there you go, a little Mars factoid. Um, but yeah, it's not very digestible. It's, it's just very, very long and bloated. Um, but again, that was what they were at the time. You know, they weren't lying. I think that's very important to kind of note is that yeah. they could have easily just kept singing songs about being on the doll and being broke and whatnot, but they weren't. They were living that life. And that's what all the promising young little rock stars want to do. You want to live that life, don't you, to some capacity? Of course. Um, I think Be Here Now is their weakest. I think with Appetite and Definitely Maybe, they changed what uh, their respective genres were meant to be. They really were a huge impact socially currently and politically as well um maybe more so definitely maybe than appetite 
and there's just no way you, re- you can replicate that but what a great place to start your foundation yeah i think overall on the whole you're not going to complain no because some bands never get that chance to make a great album like that sometimes it takes them three four five albums yeah absolutely you know maybe like you could agree queen was like that they didn't necessarily knock out the park straight away. No. It took them three or four albums. I mean, the the first Queen album is... It's not lackluster um, at all. The production's not very good. And that does have a tendency to... To to water down the product somewhat. For, for me, personally, well, me personally, uh, the Queen magic is there. Uh, it's very promising, but it doesn't contain the legendary sound or the arrangements that a weathered Queen fan is used to. But but this brings on a point, isn't it? It's like, I guess what we're trying to do and sum up here is that um, does having a massive debut album, does it become more of a hindrance? Does it stop you becoming more experimental without judgment and criticism? If you could have control over your own work, would you want it to be that way? Again, me personally. What, me personally? That's three times you said that. Um, I mean, I released the album of little instrumental kind of hip-hop stuff in July. And did you, mate? I was just learning. I did, actually. Yeah, it's called Blank Tales. Um, I do it under the alias Afroloon. And I was just getting into trying to do production on my own. So that's hard. Playing the instruments and writing the songs, not a smidgen on trying to actually get it to sound good. That is hard. Um I've since, I hopefully think I've gotten better. I've definitely spent way more time on it, but I wouldn't want that to be the only thing that I get judged on. Everything else I do, because I feel like now the album I'm about to put on a couple of weeks um, is definitely better in each aspect. It's up for people to be like, oh, I just want more blank tails. Oh, it's not as good as that. You look at the bigger picture and go, well, at least people are listening to it at least it's there and it's out there and can I really complain? And, you know, the proper the hardcore fans that you are going to get, they'll, they'll be there for you. They'll accept it, you know? Well, this is this is why I kind of think that Queen had it right more so than a lot of other bands because their first album, a lot of people don't even listen to. Um, Second album, I mean, even without the comparison, it, it, it blows your socks off. It is fantastic in every way. But it is a leap. It is a killer mall to ride the lightning sort of sort of leap at that point, yeah. to my mind. Um I think after a certain point, um, they probably thought, I'm not too worried about that first album anymore, Roger, are you? No, Brian, <laughs> I'm not, mate. No. Put another put another tea bag in there, mate. Yeah, cheers. Um can that we official quote, is it? <laughs> a- actual quote. Well, there's a reason for that. I was having a pint with them couple of weeks back here we go yeah and um yeah that's what he told me so um okay so you look at like week debuts like we said pablo honey all we know is falling first chili's record bob dylan simon and garfunkel avenged caius prince you just think well yeah you look at them now and you go well that makes all sense that makes loads of sense you're not going to get disappointed you can you can listen to that and go cool not their best but i know what's next i know what's next it's like knowing what dessert is next after your main meal and you're going well it's a bit overcooked and potatoes could have been better but oh my god tiramisu tiramisu is coming up black forest gato is coming up get that in my stomach now 
No, I think I think you're right. <laughs> I do agree with you. Um, do you like my little analogy there? I, I, I did. Really, I very much really enjoyed well that. Woven. I I think uh, we come back to the argument of um, not judging a band entirely uh, because of a moment in time. Exactly. Ed O'Brien from Radiohead said this. He was like, "I would wouldn't like to think of people just um, judging us on Pablo Honey." And it's like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you wouldn't watch a TV show and one season's really bad, so you'll go, rubbish. You know what I mean? You're going you're gonna to watch it all. You're going to become invested in it. Mm. Even if, even if it, you know, at the time, if you don't know the whole series, let's say you're watching a current one, even if it starts to dip, you do get a little bit disappointed because you get rose-tinted about previous episodes and previous course, seasons. Yeah. And again, not everything can be the best thing ever. No. Um. So you kind of stick with it. Sometimes you might, you know, like I maybe not, might not buy physical copies of um, an album from a band I really love, but I still listen to it. And maybe if it is great, I might invest. I think that's what I would do now. If I'm not that keen on something, I still listen to it. I'll just, I'll just leave it as it is. Leave it on the streaming platforms. So when are you buying meatloaf bar of hell, Marv? Anyway, that's the end of the episode then. So yeah, see so, yeah, that's good then. Um, that's good. And um we won't we won't we won't let's not entertain that idea, please. Please. Um I'll give it a listen. I'll let you know my thoughts next week. Hopefully my mind gets changed. What am I listening to? What would you like to listen to? Queen too. <laughs> Just anything queen. Um well I mean I'd say listen to Illmatic because you haven't heard Illmatic all the way through. And I'd say go from Illmatic and then listen to Stillmatic. Interesting. Okay. So do that. Listen to Illmatic and Stillmatic. That would be your thing. I'll listen to, um, can't remember what you said now. Oh, let's, let's not worry about my one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll get the meatloaf in. Don't you worry. You better add. So we come to this segment now, YouTube comment theater. Now, in the, we did record this on the first episode in the pilot, but because we went on for about seventeen weeks, we had to cut it. To me, it what it didn't hit the mark for me, funny wise. Um, but <clears throat> on our Patreon, which we've now set up um, for a lovely little three pound a month, we are going to let you have access to this full unedited episode. We're very kind, I know. Um, we are very kind, and the photo is very nice. It's just us hugging at Christmas one time, you know. A good so time, a, nice a better time. <laughs> Still with your uh, pouch of backy sticking out, that is a good little trope of you. Love that, love that. But um, yeah, so you can go to Patreon, three pound a month, basic tier. You can get the episode a day before the actual one goes up. Yep, um, that'll be a Wednesday. Um, so I thought we'd harken back to the Blue Album versus Pinkerton. Because that's always hotly debated, uh, which one is better? And this is come, this is comes from nice Good England, it. mate. This comes from the video from the Needle Drop Weezer's "Blue Album Is Better Than Pinkerton," and Anthony Fantano is very much in the Blue Album corner. Now, so only two comments, but here we go. It's all that's needed. YouTube comment theatre. Here we go then. Pinkerton is a better concept album, is more honest and dark, and as you say, it's all about insecurities. 
Are you are right? It does have. It does thrive on the whole concept of loneliness and search for acceptance, and it does attract people who have been through such things. But let me tell you, being insecure is as fun and angry as you call it. Being insecure sometimes means not having the balls to show that side of yours you don't really like. Saying certain things or acting a certain way, and this whole album revolves around a man who is coming out as real as he can get. With this album, River shared a part of him that most musicians wouldn't even consider. He comes out with all his dirty thoughts, sick addictions, infatuation problems. He just shows the messed up person fame has turned him into, and the way romantic relationships are becoming more of a pain than relief. And I think being able to portray so well the way his thoughts has drifted since the Blue Album, the kind of things he is seeking now, the way he came to those conclusions, what it meant for a nerd like him to get so much access to females all of a sudden—it's personal, it's raw. It's very unusual. Say it's messy if you please. But I think it adds a lot to the thematic of the album, and I've always liked the way the angry vocals mix with the high-pitched instrumentals on this. You may be right about the Blue Album being catchy and fresh when it came out, having incredible songs. That's obviously true. I also really enjoy that album. But you are blowing the album way out of proportion. Surf Wax America is hilarious, really. I can say it's not a funny concept. Nor can I question that you laughed at it, but you really think it's funny enough to guess everyone will laugh their asses off on this song because you did. I think it's one of the more stale and meaningless songs in the album, and that's the thing with Pinkerton. All of the songs are saying something important that adds to the ten-track album, complementing on stories and anecdotes that it seems you didn't really connect with. I'd recommend actually reading the Pinkerton diaries to understand what Rivers was going through and what this album meant to him. So you may understand what it can actually mean to its audience instead of just guessing they were trying to reacting to the hype of the singles in the Blue Album. Quit whinging. So that, sum, that sums it up for me perfectly. That is that is Pinkerton versus Blue so much. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Also, both got colours in the title. He likes that. Oh, I love that. that. I do. Anyways. We have socials up now, don't we? So we've got we YouTube, do. Facebook, Insta, Twitter, Patreon. YouTube. Um, exactly. So 50 Ways Podcast, pretty much all of those. Um, five Zero Ways Podcast. Um, YouTube, Facebook, that. Pretty sure us on Insta. I always I always find Insta hard to find the address, you know? I believe um, it is called the 50 Ways Podcast. I will double check for you, Marv. Yes, it is. 50 Ways Podcast. Lovely. Same as Twitter. Patreon as well, 50 Ways Podcast. Um, we'll link most of this down if we can. Um, basic tier, £3 a month. You get the full unedited episode. Um, access to it a day early as well. So we are going to put up more tiers in time. we just got to kind of have a meeting and figure that out. Yes. Um, but... Now I'm going to do a bit of self-promotion. I've got a single coming out next week called Arenda um, under the alias Afroloom. Now I know Mez really likes this song. Um, I do. Him in. He's a big fan of it. Makes me feel good inside my tummy. Um, coming from the album, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Hey, you like that? I like that. I'm a big fan of that. Wherever mate. you go, there you are. You know what I'm saying? That like, ties it all together because like, you're obviously going to you get it, whatever. It's really cool and genius. Um, so that'll be coming out probably in a couple of weeks' time. I'll probably post it all up and stuff, but this is Arenda. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next week for posthumous albums. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.